Thanks, Brother Dave. Thank you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I personally think that's one of the greatest things anybody would ever be able to say, that it is well with their soul. If you had all kinds of money, you was the richest person in the world, you had fame, you had recognition with great famous people. When it comes down to death, what good does that do you? You ever seen any gold bars stuck in a casket? Stocks, bonds, titles, deeds to property? No, you won't. Because the family would fight over it. They'd kill one another over that. But aren't you glad we've got a place to deposit ours that thieves cannot break through? Inflation keeps going higher and higher. This is changing, that's changing. Don't worry, your eternal security is not affected by such. Amen. We're so happy to be together again today in the house of the Lord. Count it a privilege that we could be assembled here. Let's turn to the book of Ruth again today, if you would, chapter 2, verse 8. Book of Ruth, chapter 2, verse 8. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. And let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Now he's breaking protocol of the way they did it in that time. She's a gleaner. She has no right to be able to follow the reapers. The reapers come through and they cut it by hand, of course, and they would leave it in piles. Then the maidens would come, take it up, shock it, tie it around, and they would leave the shock standing like this all over the field. When everything was picked up, then the gleaners came by. They didn't get a handful I might get a piece of one here and a piece of one there and a piece of one there. But he's elevating Ruth. He's changing her position. And this is what grace done for us. Let not thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them, immediately after them. Have not I charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, Go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Again, changing protocol. Because the gleaners were to take care of themselves. Bring your own food, your own water. The Lord of the harvest is just giving you grace to let you pick up a grain or two. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why? Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? I mean, I'd like to be remembered today as we pray. 
I've got a prayer call here that was uh, a request that was sent to the library. I'm asking the church to please pray for my nephew uh, who is residing in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, sick, needing a healing touch today. Also, want a prayer call for that. How many has a need in your heart, your life today? Let's just bring them <clears throat> to the Lord of the harvest. Dear Jesus, we bow our heads to the dust of the earth today from whence our bodies were taken. And we know if time should tarry and it would be our allotment, one day we will go back the same way the body will. But we're so grateful that there's a land beyond the river. Lord Jesus, where there will be no death, no sickness, no suffering. Father, we just pray today that you would help each of us, that we can be prepared for that great place. Lord God, it's not an old man's dream. It's not a Walt Disney story. But the maker of that place himself come down to the earth and made a way that we could go there. We pray that you'd speak to us today from your word. Father, you see this prayer cross I have in my hand. You see the need of this individual. May the spirit of God go to them, Father. We commit the service and the word today into your charge in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Ruth is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's one of my favorite stories because it <clears throat> it's, envelops the full story of redemption. Naturally, because I'm a Gentile, it's pretty special to me. <clears throat> For many people, they read the book of Ruth and there's so much in the contents that they completely miss because they read the Bible as if it were a newspaper and that you just pick it up and, well, John Doe shot so-and-so and then so-and-so broke somebody's window out and this happened, the police rest so-and-so and it's so-and-so. But the Bible is not that way. It is a book that's been written over a period of 1,600 years, written by 40 different authors who lived on separate continents on the earth. Many different uh, peoples that were affected by it. And yet, many of these authors never met them one another. They never met their contemporaries. And yet, in it, as it was run through a computer software several years ago, every book of the Bible, looking for the trait of the author. And the computer come out with the end result that it was written by one person. Well, we already knew that. <clears throat> but this one person chose many different people to be able to use them to write and inspire them. And no doubt, they didn't even know what they were doing many times. The prophet used the term that it was a slowly unfolded mystery was what he called it. And we know that some of it is written right out plain and it can be understood, but others of it, it's hid in the lives of people. Some of them would say, thus saith the Lord, this and this will happen, and this and this will happen. 
Others of them, we have no record that they ever actually even said, thus saith the Lord. We have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Joseph was one of the great types of the Messiah. Yet we have no place written where Joseph ever even identified himself that he was that type. He married a Gentile bride, and yet he never said, look what I'm doing. This is the type of Christ and his bride. But the mystery was actually written in their lives. And I wonder sometimes when the fulfillment of this being the antitype is fulfilled in our lives, and we say, well, I live my life, I've, I've been a Christian, I went to church, and I've done this, and I've tried to help people, and really I've never amounted to nothing. I've never really done a whole lot, and I've never really accomplished a whole lot in my life, but I wonder if the fulfillment will not be exactly the same way as it was when it was written. That there will be great people that the angels of God are awed in their presence. Yet the world hardly ever knew that they were even here. As Carol and I went yesterday to visit a saint of God from our church that was is in the hospital. And this, this person was telling us all the cards and all the letters and different things that they had received from people in the church. And I said, yes, isn't it wonderful to be loved? And this individual said, I never realized what that kind of love was till just recently. I never even thought, you know, people would think about me. Well, this is the mentality that Ruth had as a Gentile. Being a Moabitess, and we know that they were at enemies and odds with Israel, but God was fixing to breach something that was going to merge both Jewish and Gentile blood together. And it was of one that most everybody would think would never amount to anything. They would look at her, they would see what she come from and her background. You think the Jews would have ever chose her to be one of the matriarchs of the line of David, much less the line of Jesus? And in reality, it's probably the same way with most of us. I dare say a lot of the message folks would have never chosen me. <laughs> a lot of them don't even like me. A lot of them would never chose you. They would have never, ever believed that God could have done anything with your life that would have amounted to much of anything at all. Aren't you glad that's not people's choice, but God's choice? Now, when we look at this, this woman, Ruth, there's so many outstanding and prof profound things about her life, being a Gentile. But we know that many of these Gentiles that came under the Jewish dispensation, they were so overwhelmed by the grace of God, it made them such fervent, zealous people that they would actually outshine the Jews themselves. Caleb was such a one. We know the word Caleb means dog. Caleb was the son of Jephunneh. He was actually, his lineage was from the Edomites. He joined the tribe of Judah, not born in it. Joined the tribe of praise. Amen. But look at what kind of a character that the man had. The Bible says he had another spirit about him. 
You look at Ruth the same way. We look at many of the Gentiles that were merged into the economy of God. They made some of the most outstanding believers in Scripture. Now, the prophet, when he preached this in the Kinsman Redeemer in 1960, he said, I want to approach it from four different phases. I got it wrote here, Ruth's deciding, making her decision. Ruth's serving. Ruth's resting. Ruth's rewarded. Now, Ruth, part of her decision was compound in that initially it started while they were in the land of Moab, being there for 10 years. The husband dies, the two sons die, and then Orpha, of course, she goes back. She was a type of the nominal believer, and it didn't take very much at all to send her right back to her, her background and her mother and her father and so on. But Ruth was totally different. So Ruth had already started deciding, but she would continue in this decision-making in these other stages of the journey as well. Because as she would cross the land, uh, for those of you that don't know where Moab was, Moab is the modern day Jordan. So what separated and divided Moab from the land of Israel was the Jordan River. I stood there, Carol and I, a couple of years ago, and the Jordan River in certain spots is no wider than this sanctuary right here. And yet, one of the believers, one of the preachers in the message, made many, many trips there to where they call the traditional site of where people were being baptized. But he kept telling them, this is the wrong place. This is not the right place. And finally, he convinced some of the main people in the archaeological world of Israel, and he kept taking them back to the Scripture and showing them from the point of the scripture, you've got this at the wrong place. There was much water there, and Enon, the Bible says. But yet he convinced them, and they have built a spot actually there now, several years ago they did it, but to where it's a concrete place, people go down and be baptized on the Jordan River. Whenever they wanted to dedicate this place, they actually contacted this message preacher in South Africa, and got a special flight for him and his wife, and they flew him over there, the government of Israel did, in order for him to be there, because it was him who woke him up. Now you know where he got that insight? The message of Malachi 4. You see, the message of Malachi 4 gave him a better understanding on the light of the scripture than many of these Jews who spent their entire life studying the Torah and the Mishnah. Well, how come they didn't get it? Because they're not under the influence of the message of Malachi 4. Now, under that light, him reading it, and he knew that they could look right across the Jordan and see a certain spot where Ai was and all of those spots there. That's why he kept telling them that they were wrong. So the land of Jordan now is what used to be Moab. So all that separated it was the Jordan River. And we know that the Jordan uh, in the Bible and in symbolism, of course, represents death. So it is a dying of yourself. And Ruth had made the decision there, of course, in the land of Moab. And then the decision was further executed when she crosses over the Jordan River with her mother-in-law, Naomi. 
So she's going down across the river, the river of death, to separate. Now she still has a background of a Moabitess, and no doubt a lot of her traditions and her cultures and her upbringing she still had to deal with, maybe for some months or possibly even years after she left. But Ruth had made the ultimate decision. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. For many, many years, people have incorporated what Ruth said because it is such a profound statement into the marriage vows of a man and a woman. So she says, your God will be my God. And she does not say, your Elohim will be my Elohim. Because Elohim was a word which was commonly used even among the heathens. But that's not what she said. She said, your Jehovah Adonai will be my Jehovah Adonai. Not just a God in general, a deity in general. I hope you understand this. Chemosh would have fit under the name of Elohim. Worshiping an idol would have fit under the name of Elohim. As the prophet said, you can make the pulpit a God. You can make an organ a God. You can make somebody a God. But it's a difference from what Moses wrote in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So Ruth had an insight already even into the Godhead and into deity. So she decided. Now Ruth is moving into the second stage of her life and that is that Ruth is serving. Now Ruth is not a self-styled person. She's not a person that is thinking about what all the land of Israel can do for her, what her identity being around her mother-in-law Naomi will do for her. But she takes upon herself the responsibility to look after her mother-in-law. Now remember, she's a young woman and this mother-in-law is actually gonna kind of weigh her down. It would kind of been a disadvantage, but yet she is willing to assume that responsibility. Unlike the age when we're living in, when it's all about self. We have more self-help books in this age than any generation that's ever lived. Our society and our generation specializes in selfies. Self this, self that, self helps, you know, all kinds of things. Why? Because it's leading up to the final worship of the devil himself. And before that could ever be achieved, the God of self. You see, the ideology that man himself is a God. They're not far from being right. But man is not a God in his fallen state. He was a God before he fell. But you see, Satan wants to promote this to man, and this is why they want to do away, of course, with God. They want to do away with all this stuff, and they want to be able to bring to us the, the ideology of Darwinism. They want to bring to us the ideology, as I read it just this week, to where that some of the lawmakers in our Congress have come up with the idea that it is Christianity's fault of why that so many people are getting killed with guns. It's because Judeo-Christianity backs this thing of guns. And also, it's this Judeo-Christianity concept that is still hanging on in people's lives and why they're so against abortion. Can't you see what they're doing? 
Now, we know, of course, thank God, that the Supreme Court made that decision this week. It won't change as far as a lot of them. It'll just make it harder for them to do it. Sinners are going to do what sinners are going to do. But at least it'll make them less responsible at the day of judgment. They're already going to answer for over 63 million babies that have been taken since 1973. I wonder how many scientists that we've killed. I wonder how many doctors wonder if one of those babies would have been the one that would have found the cure for glaucoma. Wonder if one of those babies would have grown up to find a cure for pancreatic cancer or lung cancer. But yet, because a woman feels like that she has a right to take another life, it shouldn't surprise you to see all that they're doing over the last few days. Why? Because whether you like it or not, they're murdering babies. So what is it to murder uh, Kavanaugh or murder you know, some other Supreme Court justice? Now don't get quiet on me. Happy Valley. Oh, but then are you going to get us in trouble? You're going to get in trouble if you don't agree with the word. That, that's the trouble you need to be worried about. Oh, I'm scared somebody will say something, but they're going to find out what I believe. I don't mind people knowing what I believe. I ain't no chicken. I ain't no coward. I'm going to stand for what I believe. I'm going to preach it. Amen. And Ruth now enters into this stage of servitude. Now, it was the grace of God as we looked at it Sunday that the Bible says she happed upon the field of Boaz. It seemed like an accident. It seemed like that it was just, you know, whatever you'd call it, luck if you believe in such thing. But we believe it was the predestinated will of God. Now, let's pick up again in verse 8. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field. So it was Boaz that spoke to her first. It was the divine providence of God acting out in this story, portraying that it would be the Lord God reaching out to us first because we could not go to where he was. And when I could not go to where he was, he came to me. Is that right? When you could not go to where he was, so here Ruth is not saying, hey, 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 look at me. Look at what I am. I, I'm Ruth. Have you heard about me? I, I'm the Moabitess. I'm a Gentile. I come over here. I've been really good to your kinswoman. I've done this and I've done that and I've done something else. There would not be a book in the Bible by the name of Ruth if that would have been her attitude. You see, it's not those who feel like God owes them something or the church owes them something that ever gets anywhere in God. It's those who realize as far as worse, we're not even worthy of him looking our direction. Is that right? But yet God in his sovereign grace, many times it's those who are aliens, those who are downcast that the grace of God reaches to. So Boaz takes the initiative and offers this favor, the word favor there, of course in the Hebrew and Greek is a little separate word, but it means the exact same thing, unmerited favor. And that's exactly what's happening. So Boaz takes the initiative and offers the grace from his heart unto Ruth. Now, You'll, you'll find this as interesting as we go, that Naomi had said many encouraging things to Ruth. And she'd said many things, no doubt, that was a blessing to Ruth. But Ruth frames this in such a way that she says Boaz spoke to her soul. 
She doesn't say this about Naomi. That Naomi spoke to her soul. So there was a soul contact and the channel by which Boaz used was his love, projecting his love through words. And those words made a soul contact with Ruth and this is what's changing her when she meets Boaz. Oh glory. Well, I gotta say that I was the same way with him. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, now here is how my daughter, go not to glean in another field. Now remember this is harvest cycle. So this began, the barley season began, they called it corn and barley, but it began after the feast of the tabernacles and the other feasts and sequence, we know how they went, but this one is fitting after the feast of the Passover. Then it's gonna come 50 days after Passover will be what they call Pentecost. Now Pentecost was prior to Acts chapter two. Pentecost means the feast of the ingathering. And it comes so many days after that and they would go out and cut down the first sheaf of grain that was right and then give it to the priest. The priest would take it before the presence of the Lord and he would wave it like this. Now they could not reap their harvest until first the priest had waved the sheaf. And this is what they call the Feast of the Ingathering or the Feast of Pentecost. So when did Naomi and Ruth come back into Bethlehem at the Pentecostal Feast? Well, praise the Lord. Oh my, don't you understand when we're called in the Pentecostal Feast? And ain't no wonder we get a little bit excited every now and then. This is our time. We're not here to mourn. We're not here to cry. We're not here to feel sorry for ourselves. We are here at the feast of the ingathering. Praise the Lord. So they have now started. So there would have been fields all over everywhere. Now Bethlehem, of course, was the house of God's bread. Beth meaning house, Elohim. And God, of course, gave this bread basket there, beautiful rolling hills, something like this. And there would have been one field joining another, joining another. Now what's astounding about this is that in this particular time frame, they did not have wood plank fences. They did not have woven wire. And the only thing, would have separated, say, a field of Brother Larry's from a field of Brother John's and a field of Brother Rob's would have been one thing. And that was an era of land, just a little small strip that they would not have turned up. It might have been 12 inches wide, it might have been as wide as this, about 14 inches wide, and this was the boundary between your field and your field, or your field and your field. So they didn't have great big long rocks or concrete or nothing like that, so it would have been very easy to step out of Boaz field into another field. It was only a footstep away. It was not like you'd have to go through a lot of work and a lot of effort. Oh my, you know, Satan's very sly. We gotta watch him, don't we? So Boaz tells her, now this is very important, that he tells her, go not to glean in another field. So it's not like that there would have been this field and then she'd had to hitchhike for about 130 miles and then took a camel and then way over on the other side. No, it's this far from one field to another. Then she would go to the boundary of that field and the only thing that divided her from that field would have been another stretch of the feet. 
So it was very important that she understands, stay where God puts you. Stay where God puts you. You see why that for those of us who have accepted the message of the hour, the light of the end time, that we're not looking for something else. We're not looking for something new. We're not looking for some great messenger to rise up, some eighth day prophet that's gonna take the bride into this, that, the other. I've already arrived in my land. I don't know about you, I'm not looking for some other messenger to come, I'm looking for Jesus to come. That's who I'm looking for. I don't see nobody else in between Malachi 4, 5, well, praise the Lord, I don't see no messenger in Malachi 4, 5 and a half. I don't see nobody between Malachi 4, 5, and 6. I don't see nobody in verse 7, verse 8. I'm sorry, I don't see it. So I'm not looking for it. So my anticipation is on the coming of the Lord Jesus, not some great preacher. That's right. That's why I'm not leaving my field, because this is my homeland. Praise God. Now, I want you to notice that he tells her, don't go into another field. Brother Ram picks it up this way. I love his, his Kentucky vernacular, the way he says it. That's where the trouble is today among the churches. God can't get them to stand still long enough. They're running here and here and chasing here and there and mission trotting. Now, that's, I guess, a term that had been pretty common back there, apparently. Mission trotting. So they're going from one place to another to another. And it's so sad because we have so many of the message folks that have won from one doctrine from this camp to another camp to another camp. It's like they're still searching for something. They're hunting for something and they don't know what they're hunting for. Well, fall in love with the Lord Jesus and get filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you won't need to, you know, go here and go there and go somewhere else. You have found your place in Christ Jesus. This is our provided way, is it not? Sure. The kinsman redeemer, he was only one that could give her rest from them weary fields of gleaning. Oh, it's so sweet. He said, when Boaz, when he found her out in the field, I can't miss this. Boaz found her out in the field, and he said, who are you? She said, my name is Ruth. Oh, the Moabite that came to sojourn with us. Yes, I've heard of you. You don't go to another field. I like that. Don't start mission trotting, saying right there in my field, stay with mine. He loved her. Stay here. Stay with me. Don't go running around from place to place. Listen to this. Now, if you believe this, if you believe the message, hang on to it. If you believe the message, hang on to it. No matter what the price is, oh, Brother Donnie, so-and-so's leaving, and -and so-and-so, yeah, it's always been that way. They left Moses, they left Jeremiah, they left Daniel, they left Ezekiel, they left the Lord Jesus, who was God himself. But the real elect kept right on going. Why? Because they had arrived in their field. Praise the Lord. Why are you so condemned? Why are you so adamant about that? Well, because I believe that God cannot do anything according to Amos 3, 7 until he reveals his secrets to his servant, the prophets. God don't reveal it to pastors like me. He don't reveal it to evangelists like Brother Darrell. He does not reveal it to teachers and all that, but God reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. So God had something to say in this generation, and when he had his prophet here, he said it. 
Praise the Lord. And what does that leave? Then that leaves us a message. Now follow what the message says. And the prophet said, these young men will take this message and sweep it on to the coming of the Lord Jesus. Now he said, these tapes will play for years after I'm gone. What did he leave us? Oh, Robert left his people a university. Oh my, Billy Graham have left highways. They've named highways after him. They've named interstates after him. What did the prophet leave us? A message for the end time. We have no great shrine to where we go to where it's got granite and marble and all these great things. No, uh, we've got tapes where it says hit and hate and tote and fetch and pack. <laughs> oh my, but we're not listening so much for that sort of thing. But to us, we hear the voice of God behind that Kentucky voice. Now, once he says, I want you, Ruth, to abide here. I want you to stay by my maiden. So she is invited now above the rest of the people who are there. So she comes in on the outer court. Now she's invited to move into the second stage or the inner court to where his maidens are. Can you imagine her as she hears this elevation revelation? And she has now found favor in the eyes of Boaz insomuch that he says, I want you to stay with my maidens. He has now elevated her. She's not his maiden, but he has elevated her in a position. Now notice verse nine. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap and go thou after them. So now he changes the protocol for her. Isn't it amazing he doesn't change it for everybody else in the field? There might have been 50 more women. There might have been 100. I mean, this guy was a rich guy, and he had a lot to be able to take up. There might have been women all over that field. But he has his eye on one woman, and he elevates her himself. Now, are you going to tell me that he was unfair in doing that? Are you going to tell me that that was not just in him doing that? That field belonged to him. And she found favor in his eyes. And if he wanted to do that for her, who's going to tell him he ain't got the right? Well, it's the same way with the bride of Jesus Christ. It was him who chose her before the world began. She was in his field, mine, before there was ever a field on the earth. It was him that predestinated her to eternal life. It was him that ordained that she act different, walk different, dress different, be different. It was him. Oh, praise God. Have not I charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? Amen. That they shall not touch thee, they will not harm you, they will not treat you bad or be rude to you. I laid the law down to them old boys. Let me tell you one thing, any preacher that wants to manhandle this bride and sow his seed in her, you ain't gonna answer to me. You ain't even gonna answer to Brother Branham. You're gonna answer to Almighty God. Well, praise the Lord. Come on, saints, is that right? You don't, don't fear, Ruth. Now, what's he doing? He is building this trust 
inside of Ruth. She's under the stage of uh, the decision, of course, and now she's under the stage of servitude. Servitude can be so hard, and we need comfort, and we need peace, and we need protection to know that what we're doing under the servitude, that everything is going to be all right. And she's at this season in the field where she really needs to hear. Now, I want you to notice one thing that he also says to her is that whenever you get thirsty, you can go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Now, categorically, as far as where this field is out of Bethlehem, there was not a lot of wells around, but there was one. It was in the city of Bethlehem. So Boaz men would go every morning and draw fresh water from the well at Bethlehem. Now here is the matriarch in David's lineage drinking water from the same well he thirsted for years and years later. Notice this in 2 Samuel 23, 15. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. Oh, glory to God. And when Ruth, in her stage of her journey, she is now told by Boaz, I want you to go over when you get thirsty and I want you to be able to drink from the water that the young men have drawn from the well at Bethlehem. Now to us, we read that in the Bible, don't mean nothing to us, but can you imagine what an honor to walk up to the bucket? Now maybe some of you, anybody here ever drunk water out of a bucket with dipper? Some of y'all. Well, that's the way we used to drink our water when I was a boy. We would take a dipper. I still remember, had a, a metal dipper with a long handle on it. I'd draw many a bucket of water and go out there and draw that water and bring it in and might sit right there. You know, it was good. It would last for however long, depending on how thirsty we were. And I'd reach down in there. I was one of the first ones. I drawed it. So I'd draw it out. It was very special. It was cold. Come right down out of there, out of the ground. Can you imagine when Ruth looked at that and she thought, who am I? Who am I that I would be invited by the Lord of the harvest to drink water from that well? I don't deserve it. I didn't work to get it. I'm not even worthy to be identified. How am I finding favor in the eyes of this man? Predestination. How are you sitting here today with the grace of God upon your life? How am I with it upon my life? And God opened up his word to us and let us see and understand, understand things that theologians have looked at for years and as blind as a bat. And God will give us grace and let us see things here today that's as common to us as it can be. Grace. 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 Now you imagine he gives her this special permission. You can go anytime you want. You don't have to ask anybody. Just go when you need it. 
Oh, it reminds me of the scripture where Jesus said, what is it, St. John 7, 37? If any man believe on me as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Oh, I love revivals, don't you? I love them whenever we get stirred up and fired up and we go to get to hear a special evangelist preach or we get a special evangelist to come here and you know, kind of give us a little boost. But I'm so glad that my revivals are not based on the exterior move or ministry or the anointing of another man. My revival is based upon my own personal will. I just sometimes need a man to come with a little more dynamite to help me blow all the junk out of my well. But I've already got the well down inside of my soul but I just need a little help sometimes. Anybody else here need a little help sometimes? You need a little help to kind of clean the flow out in order to get it flowing. But if you don't have that within your soul yourself, you'll travel around from one place to another to another and you'll live on revivals. That's what the prophet called camp meeting cramps. We don't want camp meeting cramps. We want our own access to the well of the living God and anytime we need a drink, we go, where we go, Brother Donnie? Within our own walk with God. Our own baptism of the Holy Ghost and it gives us that encouraging waters. Praise God. Notice this. She's comprehending or trying to. What has just happened? What has just happened to me? I'm no longer just a gleaner. I'm no longer this poor, downtrodden woman that, that I'm a beggar and I have nothing. What has just happened to me? I've not been in this field just a day. Remember, this is happening within the course of one day. She has not even been back to tell Naomi of the news. Can you imagine how that Naomi must have been overwhelmed when Ruth told her, listen, Naomi, the seals broke around my life. The mystery has revealed the seals broke around my life today. Ruth, well, tell me what has happened. I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to start. I just started out through that. I felt like a hand on my shoulder or something pushing me. And I meant to go that way, but I went that way. And then I asked them, could I glean? And they said, yes, go ahead. And all of a sudden, here come this mighty champion, El Gabor himself. Here come this mighty champion rider, his great big white horse, the anointed word. And he said, who is that maiden? And I heard the man telling my name and I thought, oh no, oh no, he's gonna throw me out. Look at my hair, my hair is short. Oh no, I've got a tattoo on my arm. My, my breath reeks with cigarette smoke. But instead of throwing me out, they pulled me up to the altar and prayed me through. Oh glory to God. Instead of throwing me out, the Lord Jesus pulled me to himself. Thank you, oh God. Look at verse 10. Typical Gentile. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Who am I? That the king would bleed and die for. Who am I that he would say, not my will thine for. 
Why have I found grace in thine eyes? So this is the custom, this is the protocol that a person would bow themselves before a great person. Now they don't just do it halfway. Sir, why have I found favor in your sight? Now remember, he was a great man. She wouldn't even look him in the face. To behold his eyes would be above her position, her place. So he beckons her by his word. He beckons her from his soul to hers. Look at me. Look at me. What do you see when you look? Hallelujah. Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me seeing I am a stranger? How is it the one so mean, so unworthy that you should take knowledge of me? Now taking knowledge of an individual is a great thing, but she can tell by his words it's not just knowledge alone. It's affection. You ever had people tell you, I love you. I love you. See you, buddy. You know how it is in East Tennessee. See you, buddy. My goodness, you can't go through Burger King to get a drink or anything. Hello, sweetheart. What do you need, honey? And I tell them sometimes, my wife don't like you saying that. <laughs> Everybody, it's buddy this and buddy that. Why you ain't there, buddy? It's better more than a man in the moon. And some people just say this word, I love you, I love you, I love you. You say, well, if you love me, why are you stabbing me in the back then? Oh, but she could tell his words were weighted, not with great speaking, but weighted with affection. Praise God. I imagine every saint of God feels the way the disciples as they were sitting that day around the table in St. John 14, 22. And one of them said this words, Lord, how is it that thou hast manifested thyself to us and not unto the world? Her response was of humiliation and gratitude. Unworthiness and yet being accepted. But you can imagine, friends, as it is with us, once we get the proper understanding, there's no need to worry. You know, I'll be the first one to admit to you I'm not the smartest kid on the block, okay? I'm not the deepest preacher in the message. I have no problem saying that. I don't have the greatest gift. I have no problem in saying that. But because I lack in that area, does not mean that I fear in the least of missing the rapture. I do not worry about missing the rapture. I have an assurance from my Boaz. The token is not just something that we'll put the token on display. What does that mean exactly? The Spirit of God in our lives 
but it also gives us an assurance. God does not want you wondering if the Lord was to come tomorrow, am I ready? He wants you and I as individuals to be able to be so solidified and our stand with him that we can say if he comes tomorrow and there ain't but one going out of Happy Valley. Sorry, Brother Donnie, but that's me. Sorry, Brother Donnie, but that's me. You understand. God wants us to drive the fear of Satan trying to captivate our hearts to be driven away from our lives. And by his words, he's driving this away from Ruth. What's he trying to make her feel? Comfortable. Praise God. Can you imagine if the rapture takes place at 8 o'clock in the morning? We will leave this hell. We will leave this world that we're in full of hatred and all the things that are going on. And in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, Brother Tony, we will walk into another dimension, into a new body, straight from out of our neighborhood, around our neighbors, and they're cussing and smoking and drinking and doing whatever this world is doing. And in a moment, we will walk straight into a brand new world. And this word will have so prepared you, you can leave this world and step into the presence of God with complete assurance. You don't have to go through this purgatory level one and this purgatory level two and this purgatory level three and you're working your way up to heaven. You're climbing higher and higher and higher. No, you're getting everything you need right now by the baptism of the Holy Ghost, by the message of the hour. Oh, I know you may get tired of hearing me say, quit doing this and quit doing that. Don't change some what it is. It's the preparation for the rapture time. Satan's getting his body ready and so is the Lord Jesus. You know, she could have spent so much time. I've got such a bad background. Oh, my past. Oh, my goodness. I've got so many scars. Oh, I'm so scarred. I'm so deeply scarred. Or she could just be able to rejoice in the blessings of the grace of Boaz. We have all got scars. Come on, let's be honest. We've all got issues. We've got shortcomings. You want to spend all your time focusing on that? Or in the field enjoying the blessings of the Lord? Oh. And Boaz answered and said unto her, It has been fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law. The praise of virtue. The praise of virtue. You see, a person who has such virtue does not have to go around telling everybody else how great they are. How forgiving, how loving, how understanding, how they do this and do this and do that and do that. Virtue has its own microphones. And it won't use yours. It won't use mine. It will use others. Oh, praise God. It will use others. They will be so impacted by divine nature, what it has done in you. The people say, boy, them are strange people, and they dress odd, and they dress weird, and I don't understand all that skirt stuff and that Malachi 4 stuff, but they are some really sweet people. There are some really nice people. Well, what does that? God makes virtue be testified out of the mouth of others. It had been fully revealed to him about the mystery of her life, what kind of person she really was. And she probably was thinking, 
Nobody knows me. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. She was the talk of the town. Some folks lifting her up. Other folks putting her down. What was it? Her own life. She was the headlines. <laughs> she was the headlines of the day. And she didn't even know it. It has been fully shown all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband. And thou, how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity and knewest not Oh, I knew us which thou knewest not. You are come to a people. You didn't know them. You didn't even know for sure where you was even going. And thou art come to a people which thou knewest not. Strangers. The great contributing factor of Boaz's love to Ruth. This was one of the things. It so was so outstanding. Wow, what a wife she'd make. And it just so happened, he was single. Praise God. Well, let us take a journey before the fields of Bethlehem were fertile. Let us go back before the earth existed into the realm of the eternity. And Father longed for a people that would be like himself. A people who would reflect all he is and all he was. And he made his family album. The prophet said, God took a picture of you when you was at your best. Not when you was 18 or 20, but before the foundation of the world. He predestinated a world of sons and daughters. Put their names in his personal diary. Brought a son on the earth and gave his son that diary. Gave him dominion over the earth. Now he knew in that son was the potential to fall. Actually, Eve should have been my mother. Eve should have been your mother. Isaiah's mother. But because she fathered, or mothered rather, the wrong child first, God took the privilege away from her to be the mother of every firstborn. Glory to God. So what happens to the book goes back into the hands of him that sat upon the throne. Now there is a Lamb's book of life and a book of life. And the book of life is the names of people which can be removed. When they walk away from truth, it's removed then. But if your name is in that Lamb's book of life, there ain't enough devils in hell. And there ain't enough stupid mistakes you can make that'll ever take your name out of that book. Hallelujah. Oh my, I'm so glad God's sovereignty overrides our hard-headedness. 
I'll tell you one thing, if God hadn't have done it this way, Brother Paul, there wouldn't have been nobody saved anyhow. Look at Abraham walking out there, lying about his own wife, selling her right out, let another man take her. What was it? The grace of God overrode the ignorance of his prophet Abraham. Come on now, don't get quiet on me. How many times will you and I have so messed up the program of God, we would have made the office mess ever was. Well, I wish somebody would preach with me today. The same way with Isaac, the same way with Jacob, the same way with Brother Branham, when Brother Branham was gonna not go to the Pentecostal, but God wasn't gonna let that be that way. God sent him right back. He would have made a horrible mistake, is that right? And it's the same with you and I, but what does God do? God will send in his sovereign grace and it will override the humanity, the human will that said, out of my way, free moral agency, I'm coming through. You're getting in my way of my program. You're getting in my way of my sovereignty. Sit down and shut up. Hallelujah. And God's sovereign grace makes man's human will comply to the program of God. Oh, you see, mercy was part of the harvest that Boaz was giving to Ruth. Except this one wasn't found in a little barley seed, but this one tapped into his heart. So she's reaping a personal harvest from this individual. That's what I told you last week. I don't just want the gifts of the Savior. I don't just want healing, miracles, signs, wonders, tongues, supernatural. I want the Savior. You see, Ruth started out getting Boaz tiny grains. Then she moved up getting a little bit more. But you imagine as the relationship began to grow, she didn't want more gifts. She wanted the giver. If you get the giver, you get all the gifts. You get mercy, you get the whole package, amen. Oh, Ruth supposed herself concealed, small, insignificant. But she was the reason that he opened up his being before her that day. You see, in ourselves, we're blind, ignorant, wretched, miserable. I'm telling you, after you got saved. I mean, you was just a hog before you got saved. Right? You was just a hog. You ate slop, you lived in the barn in the pig yard, that's all you done. But after you become filled with the Spirit of God, you're still left in this chaos. A part of you has been quickened to eternal life and it's captured inside this temple of humanity, which is a prison. A prison. What is the rapture? The loosing of our soul out of this prison house. Oh, she thought herself unknown, thought herself insignificant, thought herself so small. Notice this, kind of like us, Hebrews 4.13, neither is there any creature that is not made manifest in his his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You see, it's all about whom you have to do with. 
Notice verse 12 now in the book of Ruth. The Lord recompense thy work and the full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel under whose ah under whose skirt uh-huh thou art come to trust a full reward be given thee prophesying prophesying a full reward be given thee now watch him speak Look at this word. The Lord recompense thee for a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel under whose wings can off extremity, edge, winged, border, corner of the skirt or corner of the garment. This is the exact same word. Amen. No wonder Brother Darrell whenever she reached down and pulled a hole of Boaz's garment she uses this same word. Where'd she hear it? Wow. He said it. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. Boaz said, you have not only found favor in my eyes, but you're under the wings of the Lord God of Israel. He has covered you by his skirt. He has covered you by the very border of his garment. He has taken you. Why would he say this? He could see out of this woman a character a Gentile could not produce. He could see this commonality among the elect of God, not just among the Jews, but among the elect of God. She talked and said things like Abraham said. Lord have mercy. She said things like Jacob said. She said things like Joshua would have said. And they say, where did she hear this? They don't talk this way in Moab. They don't talk this way in the land of, of, of the Moabites. Where did she hear this? And Boaz said, woman, you've come under the wings or the skirt of Adonai. A true rendition of the skirt church. <laughs> Under whose wings thou art come to trust. And you see, this is actually an illusion of two things. One of them was the mother bird. Jesus used the same anatype when he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft would I gather thee as a hen doth gather her brood under his wings. But look what you've done. Brother Darrell didn't know I was going this way this morning, but he was telling me a story before we come out of the office. It was a, a great fire that had happened. And the ranger was walking through the forest and things after the fire. And he saw this bird and the bird had been caught in the fire and burned and smelled terrible. And for whatever reason, the ranger went over and took a stick or something and raised the bird. He said it was almost sickening to look at it and to smell it. But when he raised it up under the bird, with six little chicks alive and well. 
she had stood between her children, her chicks, and the fire. Amen. Is that right? Brother Darrell said, that's the way the Lord Jesus done to us. The fire of the wrath of Almighty God that should have burned us up and killed us. But what did the Lord Jesus do? He said, come on in, children. Come on in, children. Run under my wings. This is why the bride ain't going through no tribulation period, brother, sister. This is why we have a ticket in our hands and in our hearts to go in the rapture. Why? Because our Lord Jesus stood between us. He gave his back to the smiters. He gave everything that he was that he might cover you and I as the brood of the master. These are the words that Boaz is using as a bird would gather her brood. And the other illusion that is made here, which is so beautiful, is the cherubims with their wings stretched toward each other. He was saying to Ruth, you have been gathered under the wings of the Shekinah, the cherubim of God. If a woman in the Old Testament, by believing God and taking him at his word, if it would do that to her, what would it do to sons and daughters of God with the Holy Ghost? Then she said, let me find favor in thy sight. Actually, when you look at the Hebrew word of this, she's not asking for favor, but she's saying, since I have found favor, <laughs> since I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted, comforted all. So he brought a comforter, did he? A paracletos. One called alongside to help. Now, amazing, she never says this about Naomi. She never says this about anybody else. But Boaz brought comfort in a way that no one else could. I'll tell you, friend, you can hunt for it in a bottle. You can hunt for it in a needle. You can hunt for it in a marijuana cigarette. You can hunt for it in a pill. There's only one that can bring real lasting comfort, and that's the Lord Jesus. For thou hast comforted me for thou hast spoken listen thou hast spoken friendly oh yes friendly I love the meaning of this word lebi thou hast spoken friendly lebi inner man mind heart the inner part the soul you have spoken to my soul. Praise God. As the seat of emotions and passions. To the elect of God, every message and every day has been a soul message. Every message and every day had a twin. And they responded from the outside. See, taste, feel, smell, hear, imagination, love, conscience, memory, and affection, and all that. But to the elect, the true vine in every day, it was a soul word. What is it? It's the soul mate. <laughs> He's calling for his soul mate through the voice of Luther, 
the voice of Wesley and the voice of Elijah in the last day and the voice of the anointed ones that are still here preaching that same message, consummating it to the body change. And they are hearing what? The wrath of God? Are they hearing the judgment of God on the bride? They're hearing friendly conversation. A soul word. For thou hast spoken friendly unto thy handmate. Though I be not like unto one of thy handmaids. Little did she know in just a few days she would be the mistress of the house. She looked, look at her terminology. She put herself beneath the handmaids. Now they were the pretty low, you know, of the occupied people that lived in the house, the employees of this household. They were pretty low, but she said, I'm not even worthy to be compared to the least in your house. And you've given me such grace, such favor. And of course, because Ruth had received so much grace, Ruth just got out and thought, well, because I've got so much grace, I can just do anything I want to do. I can get out and drink, smoke, run around, dress like the world, and act like the world. No, that's what modern day people do who think they have so much grace. Ruth never stopped working after grace come her way. A real child of God does not stop working. Love and mercy is what he does for us. Works is what we do back for him in appreciation of his gifts. Not to barter. Lord, I'll do this and this and I'll pay you off grace. We can never pay off grace. Works is what I do back for him in appreciation of what he has given to me. Stand to your feet, little Ruth. Praise the Lord. Then she said, let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, for thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad grace touched your heart one day? I'm glad he's still touching me, Brother John. It didn't just happen when I was a 12-year-old boy. I need it every day of my life. I need grace, strength, mercy. Oh, but you see, I'm a recipient of the Lord of the harvest. The Lord Jesus, sure, he can bless us with natural material things, you know, things like that. But that's not what to me I look at, the greatest treasures and riches are not how big your house is, how big your car is, how many vehicles you've got all that sort of thing, what your bank account is worth. To me, the great riches of grace, mercy, his kindness, revelation. That's some of the greatest riches that children of God can have. I have met some of the most wealthy people that have ever lived on the universe. And they didn't even have electricity in their home. As I stood a few years ago in Tanzania, to dedicate a church that you helped build. And to take them little brothers, at that time the little e-books, and I met there in the pastor's house to be able to hand out these e-books to these brothers. 
To them, you'd have thought it was the keys to a Porsche, a Learjet, a dirt floor in the house. But yet they offered me some of the best they had, a Coke, a cold Coke, or a, a knee-high orange or something like that. I mean, that was a great thing. And you better believe I took it as a great thing too. I didn't even like Coke. But I'll tell you one thing, I took it as if though it was a million dollar Coke. Because there ain't no telling what of a sacrifice it was for my brothers and sisters to give it to me. And yet to see them brothers and brothers F and I, Peter's introducing me to some of the brothers and all Africans, of course. And they said, Brother Donnie, these brothers here, they were one to the Lord. They lived out here in the bush. This is in Tanzania. They lived out in the bush and they didn't wear clothes. They didn't live in houses, but they lived in holes dug out in the earth. But missionaries from their church pedaling out on bicycles that you helped buy went out there and began to preach about a living, resurrected Savior. You know what it done to them? The same thing it does to anybody that finds Jesus. They put on clothes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I've been privileged. I shook Mike Pence's hand, you know, a few years ago whenever he was vice president. I sat with some great golf celebrity years and years ago as I was flying around. I seen people come up asking for his autograph and for his autograph. And I thought, whenever everybody slows down, I'm gonna ask who this is. So, I mean, he's sitting right by me. So I said, you mind me asking who you are? So he said, my name is Lefty Frizzell. I said, so who is that? Sorry, I don't, I don't know. You know, and you could tell it kind of got him. Oh, I play golf. I do. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I said, well, nice to meet you. I'm Donnie Reagan. He probably thought, and who in the world is that? I thought, if you only knew. I'm an ambassador of the king. Hallelujah. Yeah, you saved the day and the world made life and ridicule. But who are you, Ruth? The bride of Christ. We'll look at it next Sunday, but I don't think I can hold till that long. <laughs> you see, one of the things that made Ruth so different than everybody else in the field was what she ate. So Boaz says, I want you to drink this water from Bethlehem. You remember the prophet preaching that wild little Bethlehem? He said, I want some of you Gentile soldiers, Gentile warriors rather, that'll come and draw your sword and give Jesus a fresh drink. I stood several years ago in Nairobi, Kenya, about 1,500 people there, Sister Hope's former church. I got so sick on that trip, I was about to die. I laid in the bed for days and couldn't even move. I was there with Brother Doug McHugh's. I said, Brother Doug, there ain't no way I can go. You'll be all right, you'll be all right. I said, honestly, Brother Doug, I've not slept a wink all night. I can't get up. I, can't even, I lay in the bed like this, holding my stomach. We'll send somebody for you. I said, no, don't. I can't. I'm telling you, I can't. We'll send somebody for you. They sent somebody for me. I knew if I could ever get under the anointing, I would be all right. So I took my text that day and preached this sermon. A drink for the king. And I don't mind telling you, when I got under the anointing, I didn't have one ache, not one pain, 
not one thing was going except for just rejoicing. Them bunch of Africans like to preach me in the ground and back. We shouted, we danced, we had a time till after the anointing was off of me. Then the anointing was off of me, guess where I wound up? Back in the bed. Why, because the gift ain't for you. It's for God's people. Now couldn't the same anointing that took that off of me kept it off of me? It could have. It took me probably six weeks to get over that, or longer, I can tell you. My eyes changed colors. I got so poisoned by the food there. But you know what? I realized a long time ago, I'm called to bring Jesus a fresh drink of water. Anybody here with me? Anybody like them gallant men of David that say, David, we'll fight with you. We'll fight through them 30 miles of Philistines to go up there and bring our Jesus a fresh drink. And Brother Branham called it a Pentecostal water. I don't care how many message folks try to take the real genuine Pentecost away from me, they ain't getting it. Now I can't answer for you as a church, I can't answer for me as an individual, but is there anybody here with me today that refuses to give up your right to bring Jesus a fresh drink of Pentecostal water? Well, praise the Lord. I ain't talking about Azusa Street Pentecost, I'm talking about that original Acts 2 Pentecost, which was the Spirit of God getting inside of human hearts. Why, it is my field. Here I will lie, I will work, I will preach, here I will die, or here I will be changed. This is my field. Let's bow our heads together. Lord God, we say the same thing today. We were Gentile dogs. Lord, some of these people here wouldn't even want the people that go to church to know what their past was. It was so bad. Many of us wouldn't want people to know what was in our past. And some of us wouldn't even choose each other because we can so misjudge. And sometimes your seed can hide in a dark, wretched, filthy place. But all it needs is light. Like little Ruth of old, Lord God, you have brought us under your wings. It is in your wings that we trust. Lord God, we can see what's happening around the world. We can see Russia, we can see Iran. Some of our government officials saying Iran may only be a few weeks away from having enough enriched uranium to make a bomb. As I was reading today earlier, Russia sending some of their long-range bombers out on secret missions. Lord, we're not worried about their secret missions. We're more concerned about a secret called a rapture. Oh, I can't say that it doesn't trouble me when I think of our nation. When the seventh vision the prophet saw was ashes and smoke. As an American, it breaks my heart, Lord. I hate to think about it. See where our nation is and all the things going on. Who thought we'd ever be at such a place? But you give us comfort in the time of trouble.
We've come under your wings, great Adonai. We trust you. We believe you. We love you. We know that we're part of this Ruth move. We can judge it by many things, but one thing that we judge it by is our diet. What we eat, what we're drinking. Hallelujah. As Boaz told Ruth a little further in the revelation, he said, I want you to come here and eat with my maidens. And then Ruth must have been sitting close by. And the Bible says he reached her some parched corn. So she went from being a nobody to setting by the Lord of the harvest in one day. Eating from the hand of the Lord of the harvest. Praise God. So her diet proved she was not church natural. She was church spiritual. She's eating fresh barley straight from the hand of the Lord of the harvest. And he tells her to take her bread and dip it in the vinegar. The vinegar, as it is called, was a mixture of a weakened wine mixed with vinegar, which is still a favorite drink of some of the Middle Eastern people of the day. And they said it has the ability to bring a cool, refreshing sensation when a person drinks it. Glory to God. Food from the king, drink from the king, divine presence from the king. What more could she ask for? His name. Hallelujah. She wants his name. She wants to be the carrier of his seed. Glory to God. Lord Jesus, we don't want to just say we're church, 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 church. Come together on Sunday morning and do a little bit of this and that and the other. Lord God, we want to carry your seed. You've handed us some parched corn here this morning. We've dipped our, our bread. Oh, we're not doing it like Judas that we'll dip our sop. But we're dipping our bread and as we do, we touch you on the hand and your gentleness brushes against our hand. We just cry, weep and say, oh, who am I? Thank you, Lord God. We worship you today. Father, if there's one here now that don't know you, one that's streaming this service in different parts of the world today, people in Canada, people in Africa, people in France, Sweden, Norway, wherever they are, in the name of Jesus, May you go to that young backslider, that young man, that young woman, that older man or woman that's gotten cold, the things of the world has got between them and you. In the name of Jesus, may they feel the hand of the Lord of the harvest as he brushes near them and drops a handful of on purpose. Lord God, we worship you, Father. I pray for those who need strength today. Maybe some, Lord, just need a refilling. I don't know how many came through this prayer line here a couple of weeks ago needing a refilling of the Holy Ghost granted here today, Father, in the name of Jesus. Healing, deliverance, 
Oh, we're in your field, Lord. We've decided to follow you, Lord. Under that decision, we will serve you, oh Lord. Then the rest, it will come, followed by the reward, where your roots we're in your field today. We are roots, your roots, your believers. We are roots, your roots, your believers. We have decided and will serve. By the grace of God, we know we're your roots, we are your children today.
We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We bless your name, Lord. Can we just raise our hands? Or if your mind could just go back several thousand years ago and there she's sitting at that little table that morning she walked in a beggar. That morning she walked in a stranger. But this, this is the noon meal. My goodness, half the day's just passed. The mystery of her life has been revealed. The works of her life have been made known. Look what happened to her in a few short hours. This woman, no doubt, has a great destiny. May I say to you, friends, you are destined to be more than factory workers. You're destined to be more, Brother John, than just repair medical equipment or go here or go there. Brother Rob, you're destined to be more than help people find a loan or find a property. You're destined to be more than a nurse. Oh, hallelujah. You're destined to be the queen of heaven. You've been called from nowhere. You've been called as a nobody to be ministered to by the king himself. Hallelujah, we worship you, Jesus. We bless your name, Lord God. We worship you today, Father. Can we just raise our hands now in the presence of the King? Oh, hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. Speak to us in a friendly way, in a way of consolation, in a way of peace and assurance. Praise be to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And he walks with me and he talks. Let's just sing it now as we make love to him. And he tells me I
Jesus, we worship you now, Lord. Hallelujah, we bless your name, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Who are we Gentile dogs that you would call us to yourself, Lord? Offer us pardon and mercy. Thank you, Lord God. Make our hearts a bedding ground for your seed word. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And the voice I Jesus, for those times that we can go through the garden, Lord. Lord, you speak to my heart, Lord. It can happen in a congregation, Lord, and you just, it feels like it's just me and you, Lord. How I thank you for that, Lord. How I thank you for the relationship, Lord Jesus, that you've given each and every one of us, Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we know you as the Lord of the harvest, but yet we feel so humbled, but Lord, you make us feel so comfortable in that role, Lord. Because the love is reciprocating, Lord. It's not just you pouring out to us, Lord, but we pour out to you as well, Father. How we love you for it. How we thank you for this time, Lord. Lord, it's not the building, Lord Jesus, that you come to dwell in, Lord. But it's our hearts, Lord Jesus. And we can have such a relationship with you, Lord, that we don't have to be in church. Lord, for the Lord of the harvest to speak to our hearts. 
Oh, Father, may we have that as we go from this place, Father. May we, may we, Lord, just go over and over this word, Lord. Let us know it, Lord Jesus. Let us, let us have that relationship with you, Lord. I can imagine, Lord Jesus, as Ruth left the field, Lord, she wasn't thinking about how she wanted to just go home and relax, Lord. She was, she was thinking of Boaz, Lord. She was thinking of the Lord of the harvest, Lord. Let us go from this place just like that, Father. Oh, Father, let us just dwell on you, Lord. Let us think, let us be so excited about the, the, the relationship we have with you, Lord. How we love you, Lord. Be with each and every one, Lord. We know that you desire that from us, Lord. You think of us, your heart is, is always on us as well, Lord. It wasn't just Ruth thinking about Boaz, but it was Boaz thinking about Ruth, Father. How we thank you for it, Lord. We pray that you just be with each and every one, Lord. Keep us safe, Lord. We can't, we can't wait to hear more from you, Lord. We love you. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God bless you, saints. Love you in the Lord.